That's a tough act to follow. <laughs> um, so the last few weeks we've been talking about Ruth. Um, Miss Lynn brought our first chapter and Kevin talked about two and three last week. So I'm gonna talk about chapter four tonight. Who needs a, a recap of what's going on? <laughs> I'll do it. I'll do just a quick recap so we can all kind of be on the same page <laughs> next time, Sophie. <laughs> all right. So the book begins with a famine in Bethlehem. Elimelech takes his wife, Naomi, and their two sons to the enemy territory of Moab. The sons marry Moabite women, Orpah and Ruth. And then Elimelech and his sons die. And Naomi is left a childless widow. Not a great start. So Orpah returns to her Moabite home, as Naomi tells her to, and Ruth swears loyalty to Naomi and follows her home to Bethlehem. So the women of Bethlehem don't recognize Naomi, and she is bitter and empty. Because Ruth and Naomi have no income, Ruth decides to glean in the fields, um, collect the remnants of grain left for the poor. And she happens upon the field of Boaz, a wealthy farmer who is related to Naomi. And Boaz treats Ruth with kindness, blesses her, shares a meal, and tells her to continue to glean in his fields. So Ruth returns home with this tremendous blessing of grain and Naomi devises kind of a risky scheme that depends on Boaz seeing Ruth as a relative in need. Naomi sends Ruth to meet Boaz secretly on the threshing floor where men are to gather, um, where men gather to separate the good grain from the useless chaff, which by the way is kind of a beautiful metaphor of Boaz recognizing Ruth as a woman of quality and integrity. So Boaz sees Ruth's action in line beside him as an act of kindness and loyalty, and he assures her that even though there's a closer relative who might claim her, that he will make certain everything turns out well and then sends her home with good grain from the harvest. Okay, everyone's caught up. So we're going to jump into chapter 4, and we're going to start in verse 3. Boaz is going to the gates of the city where the elders meet, and they sort of make some decisions and sort of vote on stuff, and everyone comes to agreements about things. And he's going to call out the kinsman redeemer in front of the elders. So he says to the redeemer, Naomi has returned from the territory of Moab, is selling the portion of the field that belonged to our brother Elimelech. I thought I should inform you. Buy it back in the presence of those seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you want to redeem it, do it. But if you do not want to redeem it, tell me so that I will know because there isn't anyone other than you to redeem it and I am next after you. I want to redeem it, he answered. Then Boaz said, on the day you buy the field from Naomi, you will acquire Ruth, the Moabitess, Mo Moabitess the wife of a deceased man, to perpetuate the man's name on his property. Okay, so what's going on here? By definition, a kinsman redeemer was someone who redeemed what was lost. This could be the other person's property, which it was in this case, their freedom, or even their name, which it also was. The kinsman might also be called, to exact upon, called upon to exact revenge on someone who may have killed their relative. In short, a kinsman was a rescuer and restorer. This was not a passive obligation, nor was it something that should be entered into lightly. There were some obligations necessary for the person, person who would be the kinsman redeemer. So Naomi couldn't own this land. Some man had to own it for her. And um, Ruth kind of comes along with this property to continue their family name. So there's a couple of qualifications in order for someone to be a kinsman redeemer, and that's kind of what we're going to focus on tonight. So the first one is that you had to be kin, which most of you probably know what kin is because it's sort of a southern term for family. But 
<laughs> the only way you could be a kinsman redeemer was that you had to be of the same family. So in Israel, there were 12 different tribes and you needed to have, have someone from the same tribe in order to be their kinsman redeemer. Um, there had to be a relational tie. So they had to be of the same family, the same kind, and have sort of the same general ancestry. So the first person in this case does. He's part of their kin, and so is Boaz. So in verse 6, the Redeemer replied, I can't redeem it myself, or I will ruin my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption, because I can't redeem it. Okay, so he was kin, but he wasn't willing to redeem uh, Ruth and Naomi. So the second qualification is that you had to be willing. In this story, the person who um, was next in line possibly already had children and wasn't able to take her as a wife, or maybe he didn't want to marry someone from another country. If the person wasn't willing, they couldn't be forced to do it. Being willing is at the heart of what a kinsman redeemer is. So in verse 7, Boaz says to the elders and all the people, you are my witnesses today that I am buying from Naomi everything that belonged to Elimelech, Kylon, and Malon. So our third qualification is that you had to be able to redeem. Not only that you had to be willing, but then you also had to be able to front the money. You couldn't just be given it. You had to like pay for the land. So you had to be able to follow through with the redemption. If you didn't have the financial means to make the redemption, you couldn't be the redeemer. It didn't matter how good your intentions were. So in verse 10, he says, I've also acquired Ruth, Malon's widow, as my wife to perpetuate the deceased man's name on his property so that his name will not disappear among his relatives or from the gate of his hometown. You're witnesses today. So our fourth qualification is that you had to pay the price in full. So he couldn't just take the land. He also had to take Ruth as his wife, which is why the first man wasn't willing to do it. He didn't want the whole complete package. There's no such thing as a partial redemption when it came to a kinsman redeemer. Unless the price was paid in full, there was no redemption. It was all or nothing. So in verse 13, we pick kind of the end of the story. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife and he went into her and the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. Then the woman said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. And that is King David that you are familiar with in the Old Testament. Some genealogies are easy to skip over. But if you believe that the Bible is the word of God, then you also have to believe that there is a purpose in it. If you read Jesus' lineage in Matthew chapter 1, you'll find five women mentioned in a time where being a man was having it all and women were seen as second-class citizens, that's a pretty big deal. Of all the women that are in Jesus' lineage, only five of them were named, and one of them was his mother. Three of those five were not born as Israelites, God's chosen people. They were brought into the family and adopted as part of God's chosen people. What a great example of how God adopts us into his family. It doesn't matter who you were born as, but who you end up as is God's. And then one of those women is Ruth. She's mentioned and part of his ancestry. This is a tremendous honor to be remembered for eternity as part of the ancestry of Jesus. So this is a beautiful love story and a great place to pick up some godly riz for those of you guys who asked that question. But the odd thing about this book is that there really isn't much mention of God. Where is God in this book? 
So I want to tell you a story about um, when Jake and I were first married, and we lived in Northern Virginia outside of um, Washington, D.C., which was a rather metropolitan area. Um, we found out that I was pregnant with our son. Sitting back there playing Legos. <laughs> and we decided that we didn't really want to raise our family in Northern Virginia. It just you know, didn't have like the suburbs that we wanted to be in and all that kind of stuff, white picket fences. And so um, at the time, Jake was working for Barnes and Noble and he decided to put in for a, um, a transfer. So he was like anywhere from Atlanta to Charlotte because we sort of had family all over the South. So at the end of, uh, at the, end of the day, they said, um, yeah, there's a, there's a store in Greenville on Haywood Road and we would love for you um, to go and be a manager at that store. So we were like, okay, cool, Greenville it is. So I put in for a transfer, I'm working at Starbucks, and we move down here and start our family. Well, a lot of stuff happens after that, but during this story, neither of us was consulting in what God wanted. So was God in our story because we didn't seek his, his permission or his advice or his direction as to where to go? Absolutely not. God was definitely in that story. Here we are, 10 years later, several jobs later, and Jake is pursuing his, his purpose, leading worship. I don't know that we would have done that if we'd moved anywhere else. I don't know that we would have gone to a church like Brookwood. This is where we ended up, so I would never would have known any of you guys. We wouldn't have done a lot of things with our life. God has written all over our history. God has written all over our lives. So whether you talk about God or not, if you're a believer, God is there no matter what. And he is moving you towards his purpose. And I see that in our history. Despite the fact that we were shallow in our faith and didn't even ask God where he wanted us to move to, he put us exactly where we needed to be. And that was right here. So the Old Testament can sometimes feel like that too, that like Jesus' love is missing or like it doesn't apply to us. But this book of Ruth is the perfect parallel of Christ's love for us. In case you didn't pick up on it, let's walk through that kinsman redeemer concept again, and this time with a little bit of a different perspective. Because the redeemer had to be of like kind, Jesus had, be, had to become like us. If Jesus didn't take on humanity, there would be no way of redemption for us. Since sin came into the world through one man, it would take another man to bring about our salvation and righteousness. This would require the infinite God to take on human flesh. This is what Jesus did, and in the Gospel of John, we see that spelled out very clearly. John 1.14 says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. Jesus became just like me and you, which put him in a position that he could redeem us because Jesus is our kin. In John, we see the willingness of Jesus to become our redeemer. In John 10.18, it says, no one takes it from me. I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. No one forced Jesus into his sacrifice. He willingly chose to be put upon that cross and tortured. He gave it up of his own free will. He was willing to be obedient and see this process all the way through to the end. Jesus was willing to redeem us. Having the willingness, as we said earlier, means nothing if you don't have the ability to redeem. Thankfully for us, this was not the case. The death and obedience of Jesus was everything that was needed to bring about our redemption. In Romans 5, 18 and 19, it says, Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. 
For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. All it took was his one act of obedience to cover all the sins of all of humanity. Jesus was able to redeem us. In Titus 2.14, it says, he gave his life to free us from every kind of sin, to cleanse us and to make us his very own people, totally committed to doing good deeds. The beautiful thing about our redemption is that it is a complete redemption. There's nothing else needed to complete it or bring it to pass. It's available to any and all who have the faith to accept it. When you do that, then the work is finished and the sin debt that was owed on your account is paid in full. When you think about what a kinsman redeemer is, it's all about what was being lost, being found. You and I were lost and on the verge of losing everything, but Jesus stepped in. He restored what was lost and he gave us a new identity in Christ. The amazing thing is that you never have to worry about being redeemed again. He paid the price of redemption once and for all. No matter how many mistakes we make, he's already paid for them. These parallels of Christ are found all throughout the Bible. As you read stories that seem confusing, look at them again with the perspective of how Christ loves you. You'll do that tonight in groups, so make sure you have a Bible that you can look at, whether it's your phone or to take one of those physical Bibles, because you'll have some passages to read through. So tonight we're gonna sing one more song called Lamb, and one, of the, one part of the lyrics is, says, may the lamb receive his reward in me. Jesus is the sacrificial lamb that was slain in order for our sins to be forgiven. He suffered and he died for you, not just for everyone. If you were the only person on the planet, Jesus would still have chosen to suffer and die just for only you. What's his reward for that sacrifice? In a, is it, will you live your life in a way that honors his sacrifice? in a way that's worthy of his sacrifice? Or are you throwing away his sacrifice to live in whatever way you think is best? As you listen to the song or sing the lyrics, I want you to really think about and pray about what you're doing with the honor of being redeemed by our kinsmen, by being redeemed by Christ. <laughs>